0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis.
1: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 297 with Michael Bungay-Stanier. He is back sharing some more insight about how to be more coach-like in your exchanges and to reap the rewards that come with it. So you'll learn first why we more naturally give advice rather than asking questions. Two, questions effective coaches ask. And three, how to deal with the uncoachable. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, you can find that on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F297. Now, here's Michael's story. Michael Bungay-Stanier is the founder of Box of Crayons, a company best known for teaching 10-minute coaching so that busy managers can build stronger teams and get better results. On the way to founding Box of Crayons in 2002, Michael lived in Australia, England, the US, and Canada, his current home. He's written a number of books. His latest, the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Coaching Habit, has sold over 350,000 copies. It has been praised as one of the few business books that actually makes people laugh out loud. He was the first Canadian coach of the year, is a Rhodes Scholar, and was recently recognized as the number three global guru in coaching. Balancing out these moments of success, Michael was also banned from his high school graduation for, quote, the balloon incident, was sued by one of his law school lecturers for defamation, and his first published piece of writing was a Harlequin romance short story called The Mail Delivery. So thanks to Dr. Mike for taking some time to chat, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out.
0: Working remotely can be a challenge, especially for teams that are new to it. How do you deal with your work environment being the same as home while staying connected and productive? And then there's your newest coworker, the cat. Well, your friends at Trello have been powering remote teams globally for almost a decade. At a time when teams must come together more than ever to solve big challenges, Trello's here to help. Trello, part of Atlassian's collaborative suite, is an app with an easy-to-understand visual format plus tons of features that make working with your team functional and just plain fun. Trello keeps everyone organized and on the same page, helping teams communicate, focus, and connect. Teams of all shapes and sizes at companies like Google, Fender, Costco, and likely your favorite neighborhood coffee shop all use Trello to collaborate and get work done. Try Trello for free and learn more at Trello.com. That's T R E L L O.com. Trello.com.
1: Here is Michael. Michael, welcome back to the How To Be Awesome At Your Job podcast.
2: It is lovely to be back. This will be fun. I just feel it in my bones that this is going to be a great conversation.
1: Oh, yeah, I feel it, too. The last one was so fun, and, and you're too kind for coming back. It's like I was, I was but a newbie, only 55 episodes in back then, and I, I misspelled your name. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of had some facts about you wrong, and, uh, and you came back for more. What a sport.
2: It all made me sound much more interesting than I actually <laughs> I am. So calling me Nigel Bungay-Stanier is odd, but I,
1: I can live with it. Nigel, uh, it's, it's among the most sophisticated and intellectual <laughs> of, of options. Um, well, so I realized last time we never talked about the balloon incident in ah. your high school. And, and I think that's important to get on the record over here.
2: So you're right. In my bio, it says, you know, it was banned from his high school graduation for the balloon incident. And here's my decision on this. I'm never going to tell what that is actually about. And I'll tell you why, Pete. The truth is the story itself is actually less exciting and enticing than that awesome one-liner sounds. I mean, it is true that I was banned from my high school graduation for the balloon incident, but I want to leave it up to people's imaginations on just what can one man do with some (laughs) balloons that is so significant that he's not allowed to then graduate from his high school. Where, by the way... (laughs) I won prizes, and I did this, and I did that, and they still wouldn't let me be participating in the ceremony. So I'm just going to tantalize people with
1: that. Well, you know, I'm so intrigued, and, and I am tantalized. In a way, I could kind of relate. I mean, so so you're a Rhodes Scholar, yes? An That's in- right. impressive intellect. And so, so, yeah, you'd think they'd want to honor one of their best and brightest <laughs> during the big day. So I'm going to... Just imagine that the balloon ended up destroying an expensive piece of equipment. That's what I have in my imagination.
2: I, I can neither confirm
1: <laughs> nor deny that. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm, I'm going to roll with that for now. Well, so, so we talked way back in episode 55, and, and we kind of got the the basics of what your book, The Coaching Habit, uh, is all about. And, and it's since become much more of a smash hit uh, now <laughs> than it was before. Uh, it's only, amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, well, tell us a little bit about uh, living that life when you hit a thousand Amazon reviews. Does Does uh, Jeff Bezos come by your house? Does
2: or... yeah, exactly. <laughs> In fact, Jeff got my name engraved on his tattooed onto his arm, <laughs> celebration of the book. So, so no, that didn't happen. But yeah, the book is um, a little over two years old now. It launched February the twenty ninth, two thousand sixteen. Because you know, February the twenty ninth. Why wouldn't I choose that date? Mm -hmm. And it has gone from strength to strength. You know, it's about 400,000 copies sold. It's constantly in the top 1,000 books sold on Amazon, which is exciting. In fact, last week it got up to the number six book overall of Kindle books on Amazon. Number one in the business category, which, you know, to all of your audience, they don't care about this, but I was geeking out about this. As you said, we've got over a thousand reviews on Amazon. In fact, we've now got over a thousand five-star reviews. So it's just a well-received book that we worked really hard to write and publicize and all of that. But somewhere on the line somebody sprinkled fairy dust into the mix and so it's just it's just going gangbusters and it's it's very exciting.
1: Well that is good. That is so good. And I'd like to maybe first get your take when it comes to you say the word coaching. Could you get us oriented a little bit in terms of what you mean, what you don't mean, and any kind of preconceptions you want to make it clear that you are not that?
2: Yeah. It's a great question. And I'm, I'm going to just tweak it a little bit and, and frame it up because... One it's so coach-like is, of you. It's <laughs> <laughs> right. The purpose of this book, even though coaches love it, is actually not to make people into coaches. It's to help people be more coach-like. Because actually, the person that I had in mind when I wrote this book, and you know, I will say it appeals more broadly than this, but the person I desperately had in mind was, you are a busy engaged manager, you're doing the best you can, but you're a bit overwhelmed, you're a bit stuck, you're not quite, you're wondering what the next leap forward is for you to have more impact and find more meaning in the work that you do. And this is the person who I imagine, she goes up to the airport bookstore, she sees the book there, she picks it up, she goes, I could could read this, it's a short, interesting looking book, and she finds a tool to help her be more coach-like. So what do I mean by more coach-like? Well, here's the thing, I boil it down to a very simple behavior, and it is this. Can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving just a little bit more slowly? Now, you can talk about coaching in different ways. In the book, I think I talk about a coaching cycle, and that's a new insight typically generated by a good question. An insight about yourself or about the situation leads to a positive behavior change. In other words, you do something differently positive behavior change leads to increased impact, hopefully positive increased impact, which in turn leads back around to new insight about yourself and about the situation. So that's kind of the dynamic of what coaching is. And, you know, I like John Whitmore's definition of coaching brought more broadly, which is helping people learn rather than teaching them, helping them to unlock their own potential. I think that's really nice. But all of that stuff is a bit abstract a bit theoretical i just love it keeping it at a behavior change level which is can you stay curious a little bit longer can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly because i think most people are advice giving maniacs (laughs) i mean they love it they're they're wired they're trigger wired to actually leap in with ideas suggestions solutions ways you should do it even when they have no idea what's actually going on And we're just trying to shift that behavior just a little bit.
1: Okay, so that's very handy. And then you've laid out some excellent questions that, that are powerful and flexible, and that's where we spent most of our time in, in the last conversation. So, how about I take a crack at doing maybe a two-minute summary, and you can tell what? me all the ways that I've I've grossly mischaracterized your opus.
2: I'm quietly confident you're totally going to nail this, so take it away. <laughs> Seven questions from the coach in heaven. Drum roll, please.
1: Okay, it's all. Pete,
2: number one
1: is... Okay, the opening question, what's yes. on your mind that enables you to focus the conversation and positioning your partner to do the thinking
2: perfect and and get into the juicy stuff fast yeah you know sometimes it's, it's like sometimes it's like trying to chat somebody up at a bar you know you know once you get into it it's going to be fine but what's the question that gets you into it and then we call this the kickstart question which is how do you accelerate into a more interesting conversation more quickly so that's perfect
1: Excellent. And then there's the all question, which is actually a mini acronym. It stands for and what else? And so that helps you get into further depth and, and seeing really where they're coming from with that.
2: And Perfect. So we call it the best coaching question in the world, in part because it gives juice to every other question. And you've got to know that their first answer is never their only answer and it's rarely their best answer. But secondly, it is a self-management tool to help you stay curious a little bit longer because if you're asking anyone else, you're not giving advice.
1: Then there's the lazy question, how can I help? Well, it's lazy because you don't have to figure out how you can help. You can just give up and and let them figure that out for you. But that actually helps eliminate redundancy and, and make your contributions all the more on point anyway.
2: Yeah, I love that. So the inside that people tend to leap in and start fixing things before they really know what's going on. The lazy question is a great anecdote to that. Now, I think the lazy question in the book is number five or number six. So can you remember what number, what, what, number three is? Oh, I, maybe
1: my, I'm out of question. order. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, the focus question is, you know, what's the real challenge here? Kind of focusing Perfect. in on the the main thing.
0: Yeah.
2: And if you want to make that really powerful, You don't just ask, what's the challenge here? You don't just ask, what's the real challenge here? You ask, what's the real challenge here for you? And that for you on the end of it is a way of spinning the spotlight from the problem to the person solving the problem. It becomes a deeper, more powerful, more useful conversation right away.
1: Mm, Gotcha. And then, well, now my numbers, I don't even know.
2: Number four, which is the foundation question.
1: What do you want? You got it. <laughs> it's like i'm in school
2: <laughs> i uh,
1: praise me michael <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know that. perfect
1: You're <laughs> thank you well yeah so that's sort of like getting after the you know the primary goal and focusing the yeah. energy there and a lot of people don't even know what they want
2: perfect so the next question is the strategic question.
1: So that's just sort of like opportunity cost. If I say yes to this, what do I say no to?
2: Exactly. Really powerful. It connects actually to a previous book I wrote called Do More Great Work, which basically says look, three types of work in this world. Everything you do falls into one of these three buckets. It's either bad work, mind-numbing, soul-sucking, <laughs> life crushing work. It's either good work, your job description in short. Productive, efficient, effective, getting things done, but also keeps you stuck in a bit of a comfortable rut. Or it's great work, work that has more impact, work that has more meaning. And when it comes down to it, the coaching question, the strategic question, what am I going to say yes to? And if I'm saying yes to that, what must I say no to? Is actually the core question that lies behind helping you and everyone do more great work.
1: Awesome. And then the the final one is the the learning question. You know, what I take yeah, away I from this conversation.
2: You got it exactly. There's there's variations on that. The one I the variation I use most often is what was most useful or most valuable here for you. You know, not only forces them to get the aha from the conversation, and aha that they may well otherwise miss, but also beneficially gets you feedback as to what went well in that conversation. So the next conversation is going to be even more effective.
1: Okay, that's good. So there we are. We're all on the same page in terms of, you know, what are the questions? And so now I really want to know, having lived it, worked with many, many clients, many, many readers, what are you noticing in terms of, in practice, uh, what is really working well and what is not working so well when folks are trying to adopt a coaching habit?
2: We picked seven questions. You can guess that I think that I think they're the best seven questions. And I spend a lot of time adding questions, subtracting questions, adding, putting more questions in, trying to do fewer questions. And I think these are seven really powerful, useful questions. But in the end, it matters less which question you pick and more about can you commit to staying curious a little bit longer. And it's worth looking at the things people struggle with, which is actually that behavior change. So why do people want to rush in and give solutions, give answers, give ideas? so quickly into the conversation? Well, there's an obvious answer, which is it's habit. You know, this is the thing that for your entire career, basically your entire life because in, in you know, high school and university as well, you've been praised and rewarded for having the answer. So you have a pretty deep habit here of the way I add value, the way I get an A, the way I get a star, the way I get a pat on the back, is by being the person with the answer. So it, it's fair to say that on that kind of that top level, the reason why we being more coach like so hard is that we just we've just been practicing other stuff for years and years and years now. But there's a deeper level, Pete, and I think that's interesting to uncover. That's where your question takes me. Is there's a more subtle reason why people don't want to become more coach like? In other words. Stay curious a little bit longer, rush to action and advice, giving a little bit more slowly is that it's about power and control. You know, those two things that are that typically exist below the surface in most relationships at work and at home as well. Because when you're giving the answer, it's a pretty nice place to be. <laughs> you, know, you you feel like you're the smart person. You feel like you have high status in the conversation. You know, you're the one with the answer. They're the other one with the question. You know what's happening. They don't know what's happening. You feel in control of the conversation. You know how it's playing out. You know how it's going to end. You know, you really go, I, I love giving advice. You know, here's the thing. Even if your advice isn't nearly as good as you think it is, which it almost always is the case, <laughs> even if you're giving advice about the wrong thing, it still feels pretty good to give advice. However, when you ask a question and, you know, you know, questions are the portals towards staying curious a little bit longer. When you ask a question, it's a much less comfortable experience. You, first of all, you hand control of the conversation to that other person. You know, now they're going to take it someplace and you don't quite know where. I mean, by the way, this is what's called empowerment. And, you know, Nobody makes a strong case about, I'm, you know, I'm anti-empowerment. But the subtlety of empowerment is actually giving up power to the other person. And that's what's happening when you ask a question. So when you ask a question, you actually move from a place of certainty to uncertainty. because You step into this place of going, was that a good question? Did that land? Did they understand it? What answer are they going to give me? How do I handle that answer? What's going to happen next? There's all these uncertainties. And you know, part of our brain wiring is, you know, avoid uncertainty. Uncertainty is how you get eaten by a you know, dinosaur, <laughs> a saber-toothed tiger, or a woolly mammoth or something. So it takes practice and kind of overcoming some of your wiring to say, I'm going to ask the question, I'm going to give up control, I'm going to give up certainty, I'm going to stay in ambiguity for the longer game the longer game of empowering those around you, increasing focus and productivity and self-sufficiency and accountability and all of those good things. You know, it's actually going to help me work less hard, but have more impact. I'm going to have a smarter, braver, more courageous, more focused team around me. But in the moment, it's just really tempting to resort back to the advice given. So when you ask, Kind of what's worked, what's not worked, and the questions work. I mean, they really. We've we've done this with seventy, eighty thousand managers now, plus the four hundred thousand people who bought the book. We know these are good questions, but the struggle is the behaviour change, and that's the that's the that's the thing for people to work on. And actually, I'm going to just say one other thing, just what I think of it don't tell anybody else. But we've just released kind of on stealth mode, uh, an app onto iTunes. It's called Ask for. It's only available for the iPhone. We won't like, tell. Don't tell anybody. But it's like Tinder meets coaching. So it's a way of tracking your own commitment to being more coach-like. Swipe left, I, I gave advice. Swipe right, I stay curious. And you actually get to track your own progress like that. So we haven't really made a a big deal about that, but if people want to go and check it out, they're welcome to kind of test it a bit for us and give us some feedback.
1: Well, that's, that's really cool. Thank you. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes and, and I'm intrigued. So it's about the behavior change and, part of the behavior, I guess, is just doing it in the first place, like just choosing to ask the question instead of, of giving advice. And then I'm also thinking about when you spoke to that notion of power, I guess I'm thinking about how you ask the question too, because as you described it, it's true. Like there are times I have asked questions and I was entering that vulnerable place of, okay, what's going to happen? I don't quite know. And there are other times I've asked a question and I've still felt very much confident and empowered. It's just like, I'm just segmenting you. <laughs> you're right. going to give me one of four answers. And based upon right. that, I will proceed to give you the appropriate de- advice. Yeah. And they're very different experiences.
2: I think you're right. And the thing that I think is the subtle, subtlety here and the thing to bear in mind is to go, for whose sake am I asking this particular question? It's one of the reasons why, in general, we encourage people to stay away from the idea of asking why questions. Now, obviously, why questions have their place. I mean, if people know Simon Sinek, you know, start with why. It's all about being a purpose driven company. Fantastic. Some of you may know the ladder of inference. You know, you ask why five times to get to a root cause of a situation. Perfect. But in terms of everyday interactions with people, asking why. Doesn't work so well. Here's why. The first is it's actually quite tricky to ask the question why without it sounding a bit accusationary, you know, a bit judgmental. Why did you do that? Will typically be heard as why the hell did you do that? (laughs) So you got that. But the second thing, and this this speaks to that more subtle reason about so for whose sake are you asking this question? If you're asking why. What you're really trying is explain your motives, explain your thinking, explain what was going on for you. And what you're typically doing is you're trying to gather data so that you are better able to then provide advice as to what the person should do. And our our approach in our corporate training programs is basically we've got three principles. Be lazy, be curious, be often. Being curious, of course, managing the advice monster, that tendency we have to leap to advice. Being often understanding that every interaction can be a little more curious, a little less rushed to action and advice. But being lazy is this piece about going, how do I stop taking responsibility for that other person's life? And in that asking why, you've got somebody working out, how do I figure out what's going on so I can give the better answer and I can jump in and fix you for you, as opposed to saying, hey, Pete, big challenge ahead of you, but this is your challenge. So let me help you figure it out.
1: That's good. Well, I'd also love to get your take then when folks are having troubles with the implementation or or making the the shift. Have you encountered any other surprises like, huh, how about that? When people are doing this, this sort of thing keeps popping up.
2: That's a good question. Uh, I would say that one of the points of resistance to coaching is the fear that you will, inverted commas, go too far. (laughs) You know, you're like, I'm going to ask the question that will make this person reveal their dark and terrible (laughs) and sad and and horrible past, and I won't know how to handle that. And what happens in a kind of subtle way is people go, I'm not going to ask Pete this question because he probably can't handle it. But what they're often saying is, I'm not going to ask Pete this question, cause I probably can't handle it. <laughs> I don't know where it's going. I don't know what this is going to reveal. I don't know what this is about. And we kind of make up this, oh, look look how nice I am to protect this person from themselves. When in fact it's really just a justification to step away from having the courageous conversation. So there's a bit of a rambling answer, but I do think there's something to say for people listening in who are like, I'd like to give this a go, I just don't know, is it's an art, not a science, and what you're doing is you're practicing staying curious. What you'll find is you can ask more questions than you thought, and they'll make more progress than you thought possible if you can just follow the discipline of asking a good question. Be genuinely interested in what the answer is, and shut up and actually listen to that answer.
1: That's good. And, and courage, yeah, I think, yeah, that's that's the word. And you know, I guess depending on your state of mind, as as you talk about some of these these stakes that that show up and what can unfold, I guess sometimes I'm thinking, "Ooh, how exciting!" You know, let's see where this goes. And other times, like, "Oh, how terrifying! <laughs> I don't exactly. know where this is gonna go."
2: Right. And that's that's you're pointing to it perfectly, which is Oh my goodness, why where is this going? <laughs> okay. But if you're in service to the person you're having conversation with, I think of this as a classic example of servant leadership. You know, if you're in true service to this person, you're gonna go, Right, how do I help? How can I be a service? How do I put my discomfort aside so that other person can Find something valuable
1: here, and and I heard you on on Todd Henry's show, the Accidental Creative. He's yes. good. he was on our show recently. I'm using the past tense. I assume it will air before this one airs. Uh, so awesome guy, and, and I love the definition you shared about w- what is it to be an adult or to have an adult conversation.
2: So this connects nicely to that fourth question, the foundation mm-hmm. question: What do you want? You know, you could say that. Box of crayons. You know, we have this focus of teaching ten minute coaching, so busy managers can build stronger teams and get better results. But behind that is a commitment to help people build adult to adult relationships in the workplace. How do you show up as a grown up in your own life? Knowing that institutions work really hard to overturn that dynamic. You know, they they much prefer a. Do you like, a parent-child relationship rather than an adult-to-adult relationship.
1: And, and is that because folks will just do what they're told and, and cause less headaches for everybody? Yeah. Okay. I, think
2: it, I think it means it's about being compliant. And so we get forced into... like do we get forced? You know, the culture encourages us, us to, you know, sometimes be the parent, sometimes be the child. But uh, it's harder to show up as an adult because with an adult... And I take this from Peter Block, who taught me about this. He's saying, look, when you're an adult, you take responsibility for your own freedom. You take responsibility for the choices you have in front of you, and you take those choices. And when you make those choices, you said, you know, the experience of an adult is you have the liberation of owning your own life. But when you make choices, it comes with both guilt and anxiety, you know, guilt about what about those other options that I turned down? What's going to happen to them? And Anxiety about, well, is this the right choice? What if this choice doesn't play out? So for me, coming back to your question, you know, the, a, a nice way I heard of defining an adult-to-adult relationship is can you ask for what you want knowing that the answer may be no? And, you know, I would say that for many of us, we often don't know what we want. We haven't done that thinking, that work, that kind of connecting to heart, mind, soul. We're not good at asking for what we want, even if we know it. We're not good at hearing other people's requests, knowing that we can say yes or no to those requests.
1: Yeah, it's potent stuff there. And I'm wondering about maybe the why, and it's, I guess just fear. It's like if you do know what you want and you don't ask for it, uh, what's underneath that is is probably the sensation of if I hear a no, then this dream has been murdered. <laughs> yeah, There's right. no hope for it.
2: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So then you find yourself trading away your life for the temporary comfort of not pushing for what you want.
1: Whew. Well, this got deep. Exactly. Thank Some you. Got
2: deep. Yeah. Right, <laughs> everybody? Lighten up. For goodness sakes. <laughs> Well, so
1: I also want to get your take here to, to shift gears a bit. Yes. Is now I've heard the term often when I was in consulting about how one should be coachable, and it's great to be coachable. And ooh, you know, she's not so coachable. Hey, be coachable, you know. So this is a, a word I hear a lot of. What's your take? Having done a lot of coaching, helped a lot of people be more coach like. Are some people uncoachable? How does one become more coachable? And, and what's to be done with this?
2: That's a good question. I'm, I've been wrestling with this myself. I think people are, there are some people who are, in that moment, uncoachable. I'm in sure I've moment. been uncoachable okay. in moments myself. What does that mean? I think it means that you're, if you think of the outcome of coaching being new insights, leading to new actions, leading to increased impact, it means that you're unwilling to let in new insights. It means that you're unwilling to try something new and try a different behavior, therefore, that increase in impact isn't going to be available to you, certainly not in a more mindful deliberate way so yeah, I think it's it's probably easy enough to be uncoachable. You can frame it in another way, which is like if you think of that the the bell curve. You know, on the one end, you've got people who are the keenest, who are like, "Oh man, I love this coaching stuff; I'm, I'm all <laughs> over it." You've got people in the middle who are like, "I'm kind of, I'm open to it, but I'm not sure." And then you've got people at the the other end who you could call them the the cynics. I think there's some sort of Greek the the translation of what a cynic is. Is this right? I think it's uh, it's something along the lines of, and this is probably not suitable for work, but it's like dog like meaning you know like a dog you lift your leg and you pee on things and and the cynics tend to have already made up their minds about what's going to happen and nothing's going to convince them otherwise skeptics on the other hand are quite like skeptics are people who are like you know what i've i've had my heart broken too many times but secretly i would love this to work because if it works i'm going to be a great champion for it i'm just suspicious because i've heard the promises before But cynics, like, you know, you've already decided this is going to be bad, and it's hard to work with cynics. That answers part of your question, which is, are people uncoachable? I think some people are some of the time. I don't think that means that means you're uncoachable for the rest of your life. And then what does it take to be coach-like? Well, if you come back to that definition of insight, action, impact, I think it's in general it's a willingness to allow insights to show up And it's a willingness to move to action and try something new.
1: That's good. That's good. And and I'd love to hear when you're, we're sharing this with folks and because, because I'm imagining listeners are all excited, like, Oh yeah, we're going to do this at our, in our group. It's going to be great. And then if they do encounter a, a cynic or, or a wet blanket or, or those who say, "Oh, that is very that coaching stuff. uh, That feels very touchy-feely. Uh, that feels very California." You know what? We got a lot of tasks. We got to knock out now, now, now. There's urgency. I mean, I'm sure you've heard all the resistance points. You know, as as your team is is selling the the good stuff. So, how do you, if folks are are, are feeling like they're not feeling it, sort of entice them with a little bit of curiosity and, and openness, so that we can take a, a little bit of a step.
2: Part of it is a a bigger approach to coaching, which is we rarely try and push coaching onto people because people are too busy, people are skeptical, people have baggage around coaching, which I totally get. And the metaphor I'd offer up is it's a little bit like trying to feed a two-year-old spinach. You know, One of the options is you put a lump of spinach on the two-year-old plate and go, hey, eat the green slimy vegetable. And for some reason, the, the 2 year is going to go, you know what, I'm just not eating your spinach. Sorry about that. I'm not a parent, but I've, I've heard it said that <laughs> smart parents take the spinach and they blend it into the spaghetti sauce, and, you know, and then they add cheese, so they don't even know that – the kid doesn't even know that they're actually eating the spinach. And uh, I think my approach to being more coach-like, which I'm differentiating from coaching, different to stay curious than it is to say, all right, Pete, come into my office, I'm going to coach you now, you know, which is slightly terrifying for everybody. Being more coach-like means staying curious a little bit longer. So really, just it's just another way of having a conversation. And if you can just slow down that rush to action and advice, stay curious a bit longer, you're going to have a coaching experience, whether or not you want to particularly label it being more coach-like.
1: Yeah, got it. Cool. Well, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your latest favorite things
2: i no, i think we've I mean we've gone to some interesting places already
1: cool, all right. well, could you share with us then a favorite quote, something that's been inspiring you lately
2: yeah my my quotes all tend to circulate around the give it a strong yes or make it a no you know the um what's well, his name guy who created c d baby. He says, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. <laughs> and in terms of thinking about commitment, I think that can be great. You know, I've got a quote on my desk from Charles Bukowski, who's a poet. Something similar says, if you're going to try, go all the way. Otherwise, don't even start. I'm like, exactly that. So that's a quote that's life for me at the moment. In in Boxer Crayons, we're right in strategic planning moments, so where thinking what our big gambles are for the next couple of years.
1: Cool. And hey, could you share a favorite study, something that you find quite insightful?
2: Well, you know, I've just had the luxury of coming back from the TED conference in Vancouver. And so part of what TED is about is to both the in kind of equal parts, inspire you and terrify you as to what's happening in the world. And so one of the studies that could we see you know, business leaders and educators talking, but sometimes it's scientists and engineers as well. And one of the guys who got up and talked, and I'm sure this will be released eventually as a TED Talk, was basically saying, I've just, you know, you know how DNA has four letters to it, A, and that's the, that's the alphabet that makes up our, our entire life. What he's done is found two additional letters to add to that, so that there are now six letters rather than four letters. And, you know, it's very early days, and he's all sorts of, and this is how it gets contained, but he's actually showing us slides of synthetic life that he's made in this in tweaked DNA. And I have to say, that's a pretty amazing thing to reflect on. <laughs> How's that going to work?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yeah, that that, that just sort of stretches the brain into whole new places it's never been before.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it totally does. Well, thank you. And
1: how about a favorite book?
2: You know, I am going back to a book that I read some years ago, but I've just pulled it out again recently. I'm just reaching over to my bookshelf there. It's by Carl Honoré, and it's called In Praise of Slow. So it kind of talks about the slow travel movement and the slow food movement. And just a reflection that so much of our life and our pace and the complexity of everything is only ratcheting up. I mean, somebody said to me today, your life will never be less complex than it is today. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that's depressing. But honestly, it feels pretty complicated already. So that book, In Praise of Slow, I think is an interesting read.
1: Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job?
2: You know, I'm not sure if you'd call this a tool or not, but it's my my attempts to shut down my technology. (laughs) So it's like an anti-tool. But I don't have the discipline I would love to have to not check my phone as much and not check my laptop as much. So on my phone, I've recently removed a lot of the key apps. Like I've removed my email app and I've removed the Facebook app and I've removed my Asana to-do app. And it just means that my phone is now useful for a few things and useless for lots of things. And I'm trying to remove all the areas where I get easily seduced into into behavior that is I feel less useful.
1: Well, any other favorite habits to speak to?
2: The only habit that I can consistently maintain is is making myself an espresso coffee every morning. <laughs> also, other stuff like meditation and journaling and stuff. I, 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 it ebbs and it flows a little bit, but that, my main coffee, my main habit, drink two good espressos early on in the morning. Not very useful for most people, I'm afraid. <laughs>
1: Uh, it has its purpose, it has its place, it's value. And is there a particular nugget that that you've been sharing that's really been connecting, resonating, getting note taken, retweeted, et cetera?
2: Well, the conversation within Box of Crowns, I'm not sure if this is echoing beyond, uh, beyond that. Most of the stuff that tends to be repeated and reshared around social media tends to be around the, the Coaching Heavy book at the moment. And people have heard about that. This comes apart from what, being in TED again and watching Peter Diamandus, who created the X Prize, the thing about trying to get a private company to land a a machine on, on the moon. And he is very much about the bold scalability of things. You know, it's like, what's the 10X version of that? And so the thing that is kind of echoing around Box of Crayons at the moment is, how do we imagine what 10Xing some of the projects that we have on the go might be? We don't really have good answers to any of that, but it's making us think really hard.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, And Michael, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them?
2: Well, if you're interested in the book, the Coaching Habit book, thecoachinghabit.com is the place for that. And you, know, you can download the first two or three chapters and get podcasts and tools and other kind of stuff to, to pillage from the website. So you're welcome to go <laughs> there. So obviously, the book's available on Amazon and elsewhere. If you're interested in our programs for your organization, we do corporate training. So that's boxofcrayons.com. And if you're interested in just a little bit more about me and what I'm up to and some tools outside practical coaching skills, my full name, Michael Bungay Sanya, my surname is com is the place to go for there.
1: Awesome. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Yes. What's the bottom 10% that you're going to eliminate?
1: Okay. Now, 10% of, I guess, exactly. of what? <laughs>
2: it's
1: percent of people, people can, of activities, people, it, of <laughs> people can go
2: any way they want with that. But there is a bottom 10% in some area you could pick, which is a which is limiting you. And the courageous act is to eliminate that bottom 10%. So what do you want to do? <laughs>
1: You know, I'm thinking about the bottom 10% in my refrigerator.
2: There we go. (laughs) That'd be a courageous act to get in there. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That thing that was formerly known as lettuce probably isn't anymore. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, Michael, this has been a great deal of fun yet again. Uh, Please keep doing the great work you're doing for the world.
2: Thanks, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: I really appreciate Dr. Mike's wisdom and I really appreciate our sponsors. Check them out. I think Michael really touched on some deep, good stuff there when it comes to the power dynamic associated with a question and sort of the, the vulnerability and the courage and the humility that that requires to just sort of give the floor to someone and to genuinely care and explore what they're into and, and what might come up and to put aside your agenda and your rightness for a moment to give that to another. It was really pretty deep in terms of getting at the root psychological stuff for why we don't more often engage in these powerful coaching conversations. So I think that's worth sitting with a little bit, looking at the mirror, doing some reflection to see how much is that you or me and seeing, hmm, is there something maybe I need to let go of a little bit in order to engage in this way more often to be more effective for the folks you're collaborating with. So great stuff from Michael once again. Again, if you want to check out those show notes, the transcript, the links to items that we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F297. The course is available for enrollment for a limited time at awesomeatyourjob.com slash enroll the do i stay or go course about career decision making and if you haven't already i hope you'll push subscribe to hear from our next guest it is eric barker eric goes deep into the science associated with all kinds of claims about success like do nice guys finish last well yes and no and here are the circumstances so he really unpacks that in a fun way so i hope to catch you there peace